0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of September 1st from Music Minister Brady Ramsey. Let's turn to uh, Psalm 95. Most of you guys know that last year I graduated with a uh, music education degree. Um, And years ago I decided that because I was... um, I was running from a call to ministry. Um, ever since I've surrendered to that call, I've jokingly told Emily, um, this is her favorite joke that, uh, teaching choir in a public school was my Nineveh. Um, and, uh, well, no, that's not how the story goes. Ministry was my Nineveh. Teaching was my Tarshish, Tarshish. How, no, I never knew how to say that word. Um, so, uh, yeah, she, she loves that joke a lot. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't until my junior year that after wrestling with God for three years prior, four years prior, um, he finally pinned me down and, and told me, if, if you want to be happy, if you want to have meaning in your life, you're going to serve me. That's it. And, uh, and I did. I surrendered to ministry um, in, in the fall of my junior year. Now, it wasn't until my senior year that Emily and I, i like, was it my senior Yeah, you know, whatever. Anyway. Uh, it was, my, was it my senior year or junior Yeah, yeah, right. She, okay, she said that weird. I didn't, ha- I didn't have to redo senior year. It's just a four and a half degree track, four and a half year degree track, making me sound better than I am. So anyway, so a year removed, November of whatever year that was, my senior year, Uh, we started coming to London. And it just so happened that there was a coincidence that the music leader that was here didn't want to lead music anymore. You know, it was just coincidence. It couldn't have been that God orchestrated that. But we knew from the very beginning that God wanted us here at London and that um, this was the church for us. And uh, like I said, it just worked out. You know, God's provision that This was the church that um, God wanted me to serve at as well. And so I've loved serving here as the music leader. Um, Because during this time, um, Brett has really challenged me in the songs that I pick, in the way that we do worship here. Um, I wanted to do all the cool songs. How many of you guys have ever heard of Oceans before? That song was really popular whenever I was becoming the uh music leader here but we didn't do it and uh it wasn't because it's a bad song i mean it sounds really cool I, don't know, I like worshiping to that song but it wasn't the right song for here and so when brett and i talked about that it was it was a weird conversation it was like wait whoa why did we not do that song and then I took a step back. And it's like, wait, why do we even sing? What purpose is there in singing? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Why, why does singing matter? Why does singing in the church matter? Is it just, it, it surely can't be something we just do because that's what my granddad did. And that's what his granddad did for hundreds of granddads back. It obviously has to have a purpose, right? So... Um, Let's, this morning, we're, gonna, we're going to, dis, to, to discover, hopefully, um, what that is, what the purpose of singing is. So let's read uh, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with, a song, with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put, put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Right. Uh, dear God, Lord, um, thank you for what you've already done in this service. I pray that as we discover what singing is, what 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 this aspect of worship is, God, um, that You would just reveal, and uh, Lord, just give us a, a a new heart in in this this aspect of worshiping You and praising You. Give me the words to speak, um, and grant this congregation the ears to hear what You have to say. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. So this psalm is a psalm of invitation. Let's look at the very first phrase. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Note that David does not just want us to sing. This is not just a rock concert or uh, anything like that. This is not just me singing to you, you singing to me. Well, who does it have us singing to? Who does he say that we're singing to? It says that we're singing to the Lord. Um, we must be watchful, watchful that our singing isn't to ourselves. By that I mean only sing the songs that we like. There are songs that we do here at London that I pick out that I don't like. But, and no, it's not just hymns. I love hymns. Any of the questers know that I love hymns. There are songs that I I don't like. I don't like the way the music goes. I don't like how it fits in my voice. But the words and what they say about our Lord is why we sing them. Got that one out there. Okay. (laughs) We sing those songs and continue to do so because our first priority as worshipers is to sing songs that remind us of who God is, who we are, and why we are here. One of the prominent pastors of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, says that we must take care that that all we offer is our heart's sincerest and most passionate worship to the Lord. I hope that's true for us today. Let us come into his presence. Verse two, uh, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Now, we say the phrase joyful noise, and what does that make you think of? Raise your hand if you know somebody that sings with a joyful noise. Oh, yeah, there's got to be more of that. Come on. So when we use that phrase, we use it as though it's, oh, they're trying their best. But that's how we're supposed to sing. That's not what David meant here. David didn't didn't mean well. All of Israel's a, you know, they're they're a lousy bunch of choir students. So uh, we're not gonna, we're just gonna do our best. We're gonna give a joyful noise. Um, thank God, though, we don't have to be in tune, and sing right on the beat for Him to enjoy our praises. What does He want? He wants a joyful noise. That is a holy, holy enthusiasm, an unabounding joy. We see this joyful noise all throughout the Bible. We see Moses in, in the Old Testament and all of the Israelites. They sang of their deliverance in Egypt. You don't believe me? Read Exodus 15. That entire chapter is a song that they just broke out into. As much as I love High School Musical, I don't think that we'd do that today. We're not busting out into song, but the Israelites did that. Because the Lord delivered them from slavery, from bondage. David, the author of this, sang and danced all the time. I know that's a scary thing to us Baptists. He danced because he was happy, because he wanted to, he was joyful, he had that holy enthusiasm. Mary sang when she found out that she was actually going to have a baby when she went to go see her cousin Elizabeth and when Elizabeth saw Mary running in, the baby jumped in Elizabeth's womb. That's John the Baptist. And Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women, so on and so forth. You're going to be the one that brings the savior of the world into the world. And she broke out into song because of that. We see in revelation the, the saints and the angels together, when the Lamb of God is able to open the scroll, singing, worthy, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is he who was and is and is to come. People with joy in their hearts have made joyful noises all throughout scripture. Let's continue on. Verse three. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. We're now in the why of why we should sing. We see that not only, that God did not only make the depths of the earth, but he made the heights of the mountains too. He holds them. He created them. Same with the seas. He made made those and the land he formed. God didn't just create everything, though. He created it, and he is still actively involved with it. He's involved in our lives. He, He holds the earth in his hands. Much like how a parent cares for their child, God takes care of us. For that, he is worthy to be praised. He is greater. He is more sovereign. He is more worthy than any idol, person, place, or thing that we could worship. We notice a, a change in tone in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. David is no longer talking about dancing and shouting because of the Lord's greatness. We should always come into the presence of the Lord, fully humble and fully in reverence of him. Man, there are times when we come to him and all that we can do is kneel. When we don't want to sing. And I've been there. Have you you guys been there? In times when we are in great suffering or hopelessness, God is still all of those things that he, that he was in the first five verses. That doesn't make the first five verses not true. In hardships, we are still created by the God who holds the entire earth in his hands. You know, we see story like stories like Job's, um, where everything was ripped away from him. God allowed Satan to take Job's property, his children, and his health. But Job doesn't turn from God. He still praises the Lord. In Job chapter 1, after everything is taken from him, he sings and praises that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. In Acts, we see Paul and Silas beaten and thrown in jail. And as they sit there, chained to the walls by their feet and their hands. What do they do? They pray and they sing hymns to God. So much so that the jail that the doors fall off of their off of the jail and their chains fall off because they were singing and praising the Lord. Our praise is powerful, church. This type of thing didn't just happen happen in Bible times, though. It still happens today. In the book, The Insanity of God, the author Nick Ripkin tells the story of, an, of a man named Dmitri. Dmitry is a is a Russian Christian who lived in a village north of Moscow. He decided to start gathering a group of he decided to start a gathering of believers that grew so large that the Russian Communist Party took notice. They told him to stop whatever this is or else bad things will happen. He didn't and was sent to a jail over 600 miles away. The, prison's guard, the prison guard's goal was to break him and make Dmitri wish he had never become a Christian, make him denounce his faith. There were two spiritual habits that Dmitri had picked up from his father. Um, Without these two disciplines, Dmitri insisted that his faith would not have survived. The first was writing prayers and songs. He didn't have a Bible, so every time he found a piece of paper he would find something to write with and begin to write these verses, verses in the Bible and stories of people in suffering and songs. The second one, for seventeen years in prison, Every morning at daybreak, Dmitri would stand at attention in his bed. He would face the east, and he would raise his arms and sing what he called a heart song to God. He sang reminding himself of everything that God had done for him in his life, and the lives of his family, and the lives of people he knew about, and people all over the world. He prayed and sang for everyone and reminded himself that God is still God, that God is still the first five verses in Psalm 95. As you can imagine, the reaction of the other prisoners um, was predictable and unapproving. Dimitri um, in in the story recounted the laughter, the cursing, the jeers. The other prisoners had banged metal cups against the, the iron bars in angry protest. They would throw food and human waste into his cell. To try to shut him up and extinguish the only true light that was shining in that dark place every morning at dawn. One day, Dimitri was dragged from his cell because his scrap pieces of paper were found and they were ready to execute him. As he was dragged down the corridor in the center of the prison, the strangest thing happened. Now remember, Dimitri did this for 17 years. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, before stepping out into the place of execution, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. And they put their arms out and they began to sing. Dimitri told, told uh, Nick Ripken, That it sounded to him like the greatest choir in all of human history, even though they were probably singing with a joyful noise. Um, But 1,500 criminals raised their hands and began to sing the heart songs that they had heard Dimitri sing to Jesus every morning. And Dimitri's jailers instantly released their hold on him, stepped away from him in terror. One of them demanded to know, who are you? And he stood up bloody and bruised to the face of the guards who had the day before lied to him, said that we slaughtered your family. We slaughtered your wife and kids. This was the kind of mental games they played with him. But he stood up in front of them and said, my name is Dimitri. I am a son of the living God. And Jesus is his name. And the guards returned him to his cell. Sometime later, Dimitri was released and he returned to his family. Guys, sometimes in the midst of our trials, and hard times, words aren't enough. Sometimes the greatest hardships lead to singing to God. And sometimes that can lead to a whole prison singing. Verse 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. This is a call back to why we should sing. We belong to God. He is our Lord, and because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us. This is also a qualifying statement. If he's not your God, and if you are not the sheep of his pasture, you have no reason to sing about him. If you have not taken on Christ's death on the cross, you have no reason to sing. At least no reason to sing joyfully. As much as he is our God, we are his people. He is our shepherd, and he will provide our needs and protect his flock. He's our shepherd. But this praise, this, this psalm, is, is in two parts. We see at the end of verse 7, um, it moves from a call to praise and an invitation to worship. It now moves to a warning for God's people. Let's read the end of verse 7 and, and, and finish out the psalm. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had, not, they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. David is citing a specific instance where God's people fell off because they forgot what God had done. Turn with me to Exodus 17. While you're over there you can look at verse 15 or chapter 15 and look at their song too, by the way. But verse 17 or chapter 17 verse 1 up out of Egypt. Was it to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the, the elders. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is he among us or not? After years of slavery, after the plagues, we see God deliver his people out of Egypt out of their bondage. There was no mistaking that the Israelites God was who he said he was and was great and worthy to be praised. As we talked about before in Exodus 15, Moses and Israel praised the Lord. They broke out into song because of what he did, reminding themselves of what he did in chapter 17, though, we see that the Israelites have stopped singing and when times got tough, they stopped believing the promises of the of their shepherd. They forgot that the Lord brought them out of Egypt to save them. They even accused Moses of bringing them out there to die. Now God showed up for his people, but Moses named the place where it happened Meribah and Massah, which those are two Hebrew words that mean quarreling and testing. There's another similar event happening in uh, Numbers 20. Uh, You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. I'm going to read it. Numbers 20. Starting in verse 2, it says that there was no water for the congregation. This is a separate story. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? That we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give to the congregation and their cattle water to drink. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded them. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck his staff twice, and water came out of came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me is holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given you. The Israelites ran out of water, and again, they began fighting and blaming Moses and doubting the promises of God. This time, they said they wished they had never even left Egypt. Once again, God provides for his people, but this time it was at a cost. The Lord tells Moses that because Israel did not have faith in God, they would not be able to enter the land he was giving to them. Church, I believe that when we stop singing, just as they did, that we are susceptible to, fall, to forgetting God's promises, just like they did. It could still happen today. If this wasn't the case for God's children, why would David reference this story in Psalm 95? Or even further, why did the author of Hebrews quote these very verses of the psalm that's in hebrews 3 we must remind ourselves daily daily of the promises of god by praying by reading his word and by singing that's my intro i always love when pastors said that they get all the way you know like 45 minutes there, and then they're like that's my intro the rest of it's not much longer. So why does singing matter? It matters because God because God tells us to do it. If the whole Bible is inspired by God, if God gave us this book of songs about him to sing to him, why would singing not be important? the second one. Number two, singing good and edifying lyrics helps us dig deeper into God's word and spiritual truths and then remember them. You know, a couple weeks ago at the, uh, the college cookout, Colt, oh, she would have been here. He would have loved me talking about him up here. Uh, Colt and I were talking, um, that sometimes when he's at work on Monday, he has those same songs that we're singing on Sunday get stuck in his head that he's singing throughout work. Guys, that's what we want. Our worship service is meant more to be is, is I, think I don't know what just happened. Our our worship service is meant to be more than a Sunday morning concert. Every day should be singing and praising to God. If I'm doing my job right, these songs are stuck in your head on Monday, on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And not only are they stuck in your head, but the words that we sing tell you truth about God. And if you don't necessarily know that truth, maybe it'll bring you to, to, to open up his word and read his word. That's if I'm doing my job right. Let me know if I'm not. Number three, Singing prepares you for spiritual warfare and trials. Like the story of Dimitri, Job, Paul, and Silas, we are going to go through tough times, sometimes because of our faith. Singing strengthens you and helps you persevere in the face of trial. If it can strengthen them in jail, in prison, in losing everything, What can it do for you when you're down, when you are rejected? God's word wasn't just powerful 2,000 years ago. It's still powerful today, church. Number four, singing helps us to pray. Oftentimes when I'm finding a song for the the invitation, the time of prayer that we have um, after Brett preaches, while I'm walking up to up on the stage and getting ready to play, I'm praying the words of that song over that time, over this time. As I said, sometimes words are not enough. Sometimes all you can do is sing a song. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. Man, is that a prayer? Lord, walk with me. Lord, please talk to me. Show me that I am yours. We look at the Psalms and we see David, helpless, hopeless, crying out to God. God, where are you? Do you even hear my cries? These are songs. Songs to God. Number five, I think we're on. Singing singing builds up others. As I said, Sunday morning should not be a concert. And Sunday morning should not be you guys singing to me. I tell you there's nothing better than stepping away from the mic and hearing this church sing. For my heart it's, it makes my heart soar to hear you guys sing. And it's even it's even biblical to sing at the church and to sing with believers in in two of Paul's letters. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for, for Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing One another, that's me and that's you, to each other, in all wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The last thing I want is for Sunday mornings to be a concert. Even worse, that we just read the words on the screen like we're watching a sing-along. We want these words to be burnt into your hearts so that when you do face trials, these words lift you up. I don't just pick songs that I like. I pick songs that will grow us. It's all about praising the Lord. This brings me to my last point and the most important reason why we sing. Singing glorifies God. True obedience, meditating on the word, preparing for the trials that come, and building up others. All these things bring glory to God, which is each person's chief goal and purpose. It's your purpose whether you want it or not, but it should be our goal. We were made to glorify God. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 bring this out simply but powerfully, telling us to sing to God and to the Lord because he is the object of our praise. Going back to Ephesians five nineteen, it says, sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. It is to him and about him that we sing. Singing has such a unique way of bringing our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength together into one place. To focus entirely and completely upon God. In an age of distraction, be it social media or the sin that's in our world. Singing grabs the attention of all of our senses and focuses on God. We look forward to... To the end, in Revelation 7, 9 and 10, and the Apostle John describes a glimpse of eternity with a great multitude of people from every tribe, people, language, singing before the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Guys, eternity awaits. Because of Jesus, what Jesus has done. We know that's for us. And if you don't, uh, I pray that you settle that today. We have a holy enthusiasm. We should. Because God sent His Son to die for us. And because of that, If we accept that and we stand in Christ's death. We have eternity. And that eternity is spent singing and praising God. So on that day. Will you be one of the great multitude that no one can number? Singing the songs of the lamb. Singing his praises. Church, we ought to start practicing now.